Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. In 2001, the women's fashion magazine, Mademoiselle, announced it was ending. The actress, Carrie Russell, was on the cover of the last issue, surrounded by headlines like, Is your job sabotaging your sex life? And, Are you only staying together because you're afraid of being alone? The Chicago Tribune reported on the end of Mademoiselle's 66-year run, and quoted a journalism professor as saying the magazine had had an identity crisis. When it began, Mademoiselle positioned itself as the magazine for smart young women. In 1954, almost an entire issue was dedicated to the Dylan Thomas play, Under Milkwood. The magazine published work by Truman Capote, Albert Camus, William Faulkner, Carson McCullers, James Baldwin, Flannery O'Connor, Jane Bowles, and many more. As one writer put it, Mademoiselle was the magazine for women who wanted to write the great American novel. The long-standing editor-in-chief, Betsy Talbot Blackwell, wanted the staff of Mademoiselle to be young. She said it should get younger every year. And that's how she came up with an annual competition for college students, the Mademoiselle Guest Editor Competition. Twenty winners were flown to New York and put up in a women-only high-rise building at the corner of East 63rd Street and Lexington Avenue. It was called the Barbizon Hotel. Hello? Lori, can you hear me? How do you do? Lori Levy won the Mademoiselle Guest Editor Competition in 1953. That contest was, when I won it, it was like the, you know, the most wonderful thing in the world. Today, she's 92, and we reached her at her home in Chicago. <laughs> I'm a little rusty because, good God, it's been, a, you know, years and years, but it's funny how you do remember Lori Levy grew up in Mason City, Iowa. She remembers what happened when she told her father she would be traveling to New York to become a writer. I remember my father saying, if you have to 
be a writer. What's wrong with the Des Moines Register? And I, I was absolutely determined from then on. Tell me what it was like to walk in the doors of the Barbizon. What would you see and what would the atmosphere be like? Well, what I, what I saw were women. There were no men. I can remember I had a date who had to, could not possibly go into my apartment there, my room. They, we were Men were confined to the first floor, I, I remember. I mean, there was there were no kitchens, no, well, nothing like today. Of course, we would have died to have coffee in our rooms the way <laughs> hotel rooms have now. But it was, our, we could go out and have all the excitement and come back to the safety of our women-only <laughs> hotel. It was, it was lovely. It was perfect. Did you ever get in trouble for breaking any rules? No. I was not a rule breaker. Although I was very adventurous. One of her fellow contest winners in 1953 was Sylvia Plath. Lori Levy has written about her time at the Barbizon. She described how, at the end of their stay, Sylvia Plath, with her lipstick and pageboy haircut, said... Write to me. I never wrote to her, Lori Levy said. I forgot her and the others until too many years had flown by. I went straight from the airport to the Barbizon in a cab, and I was terrified. Janet Burroway won the Mademoiselle competition in 1955. Absolutely terrified. And this is true. It sounds apocryphal, but what the cab driver said to me when he saw the state I was in was, New York is like a giant ice cream sundae. You eat it all at once, you get sick to your stomach, you take it a little bit at a time, and you never get enough. (laughs) uh, Janet Burroway checked into the Barbizon the same year as Joan Didion, who was also chosen for the Mademoiselle Guest Editor Program. But there were all kinds of women staying at the Barbizon who had nothing to do with the magazine. They were mostly young professionals who had, from secretaries to editors, I think, or business people, who had wanted to break out of the the mold of find a husband and have as many babies as fast as you can, which was very much still our world at that point. And the Barbizon, I know, was created for exactly that kind of woman. The Barbizon Hotel opened in 1927, when it was controversial for a woman to check into a hotel by herself. Women arriving to hotels after dark were sometimes thought to be sex workers and turned away. The Barbizon was a sanctuary. Professor Paulina Bren has written a history of the Barbizon. Because women working were seen as pariahs. The idea was there's so few jobs, those jobs belonged to men, to the breadwinners. And so women who were out on, in New York, obviously dressed, going to work, were sometimes sort of targeted. They weren't seen as being patriotic. And so the Barbizon was, you know, at that moment, the fact that it was uh, women only 
was really helpful. And also, for many decades, being a women-only hotel meant freedom because women only meant respectability. So there are many cases, such as with Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly, um, in the late 40s, came to the Barbizon, and she had applied to Bennington College. She didn't get in because so many GIs were applying, and she used that as an opportunity to convince her parents, who her father was a self-made millionaire in Philadelphia, to convince them that she could come to New York and study at the Drama Academy. And the the precondition was that she had to stay at the Barbizon, her parents said, because then they could tell other people and it wasn't some sort of promiscuous act. Um, but by going to the Barbizon, you were going to a very respectable place where there was no, you know, possibility or, or so it was thought sort of a hanky-panky. Um, and that that gave women freedom and it, it did sort of create a certain uh, camaraderie in the sense that they were all there precisely to try to act out their ambition in some way. Did it seem like an exciting time to be there? It, I can't say whether it was an exciting time. It, well, later I was aware of that, but at first it was just exciting um, and terrifying. And, you know, that, that I was in a high state of emotional excitement all the time I was there. And um, going down into the village and going to coffee houses that were just springing up and... Uh, inviting young poets to read and that kind of thing. It had been described to me as the only place that you could wear pedal pushers and earrings at the same time. <laughs> that, was, that was essentially true. Both Janet Burroway and Lori Levy talked to us about feeling scared and nervous. The anxiety level was very high among all of us. Why? I mean, what? you're not the first woman to mention anxiety and safety and why why was that well i think there are two things that collided we were of an age that we were still in puberty you know we were, we were still of course you understand that it was a period of <sighs> great sexual restraint and a kind of automatic assumption of bad girl about anyone who um, let herself be felt up. That level of sexual restraint. And that led to a lot of anxiety because we had sexual feelings and nothing to do with them. But also, so there was that, the same kind of anxiety that young people feel today because of social media, I think we felt because of New York. Most of us had come for, from quite a distance and I think had all lived lives with less reach. And for that reason, felt that we were trying to reach. <laughs> we were trying to take in the city. So that combination of things, a very repressive society, plus the freedom and offering of New York. Was there this idea that women 
and girls at, at that age were just kind of supposed to be robots. You're supposed to fit into this mold, and this is the way you did things, and don't yes. let too much of your real self show. Absolutely. Well, if your real self involved ambition or um, the taking on art and thinking that you could do that, which I suppose is ambition itself, the core of ambition, um, yes, hide it. She told us about a man she met during her time at Mademoiselle in New York. They were engaged for two years. And finally, I broke it off, and I think it was partly that I had not been swept off my feet, as I had hoped to be from all the movies I had seen, but also that I just could not see myself as myself in that relationship, which was the expected relationship. I mean, really what was expected was very clear, is that if I had such a romance and such an engagement, I would get married, have babies, and stay home, period. They would often say at the Barbizon, there are no kitchens here because you don't have to be bogged down by the sort of expectations of a woman back home. In other words, you come to New York and you're freed of that. And that also means you're freed of, of not just cooking, but serving others and sort of having to occupy your time through social engagements, often centered around food. Um, and so it was. It was. It was. A, it was a message that you can do something else. You don't have to be bogged down by this. You can focus on your ambition. This was a place where you wouldn't be leading your mother's life. Right, absolutely. You would not be leading your mother's life. And for some women, this was really a place to stay as they were launching or hoping to launch a career. For other women, it was an interlude before they sort of had to return to the expectations, um, particularly for the sort of upper classes, the expectations of a good marriage and, and so forth. And this was their time to be free. Today, stories from New York's Barbizon Hotel. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. We'll be right back. Embracing nature is more than just going for a walk now and then. It's reconnecting with the elements. It's harnessing the power of natural ingredients. It's putting the earth first. For over 50 years, Nature's Sunshine has been sharing the healing power of nature as they work towards a healthier planet. Their manufacturing facility is 100% powered by sunlight, and they divert 95% of waste away from landfills. If you're looking for a sustainably made herbal supplement, you might want to check out Nature Sunshine and their new power line. Power Beats are a superfood performance booster that can help enhance both performance and blood flow. And Power Meal is a satisfying protein-packed superfood shake that comes in sustainable packaging made with nearly 40% post-consumer recycled plastics. Now that's something you can feel good about. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. 
That's Majorsunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Were people coming from all over the country? They were, and this is what one of the many things I just I love about the story of the Barbizon, because it's it is about the women who lived there, who passed through its doors. But it's also both the story of New York in the 20th century, very, very much a changing New York, of course, and constantly evolving New York. But it's also a New York hotel that tells the story of America because a majority of the women were really from small-town America. Is it... Is it- safe to assume that most of the women who were at the Barbizon were were white and straight? I think up until the 70s, we can assume most of them were white up until the 70s. Straight, that is something I try to find <laughs> with this whole question. Um, and it's impossible. It's impossible to say. In her research, Paulina Bren did find the account of a bar owner who, describing what the Barbizon's neighborhood was like, referred to, quote, dykes, queers, fruits, and pansies. There are no surviving guest registries. There are no surviving letters from the hotel to the hotel. Nothing like that exists. But the question is, you know, when could African-American women first stay there? And so I was really, you know, it was so important to find that out, but then how do you find that out? And I found one single archive, which is the office um, correspondence of Betsy Talbot Blackwell, who was the editor-in-chief of Mademoiselle magazine. And so I was going through these thousands of sort of mundane memos that had gone through or across, rather, um, Betsy Talbot Blackwell's um, desk, and I suddenly hit this batch of memos um, from 1950, spring of 1956, and I see that there's sort of an argument taking place, and the editorial staff really wanted to bring this young woman called Barbara Chase in to be the guest editor. They felt that she was the by far the best visual artist who had applied to the competition. 
Um, they pointed out she was also very attractive. She went to Temple University. She was the perfect profile. And the business side of, of um, Mademoiselle magazine were furious. They said, we're going to lose clients. We're, gonna, we're going to lose advertising. You editors at Mademoiselle magazine, you think you have to do the, be the first in everything, and this is going overboard. This is ridiculous. And the issue was that Barbara Chase is African-American. And so it went back and forth. And Betsy Talbot Blackwell, who I should say was a staunch Republican, she said, well, we're bringing her in and that's that or I'm quitting. And so they brought Barbara Chase in. But during these discussions, they said, do we even know if the Barbizon will let her in? Because from that, one can sort of assume that suddenly this had, this had never come up and it was very unorthodox and it hadn't happened before. And I spoke to Barbara Chase, who, by the way, became a very famous sculptor um, who lives in Milan and Paris, where she works. Um, she's also a famous author. Anyway, and she... Um, She's quite something. And she said she actually felt comfortable at the Barbizon, but she was the type of person she just, as she said to me, she always saw herself as sort of being the cat's meow. So she walked in everywhere as if she belonged. In many ways, um, she also feels that that irritated a lot of uh, liberal New Yorkers, such as those who worked at Mademoiselle Magazine, who were so proud of themselves that they'd invited her in. And the Barbizon had invited her in, and she felt she had a right to be there, so she didn't understand why anybody should feel proud of themselves. The guest editors were photographed, and their pictures ran in the August 1956 issue of the magazine. The August issue was called The College Issue and nicknamed The Bible. So this is throughout the pages of the 1956 August college issue of Mademoiselle magazine. We have photographs of Barbara Chase, and that was revolutionary then. Um, it would be almost another about, I think it was 1963. So, yes, yeah, so it was about seven years before the first black woman ever officially showed up to model in a mainstream magazine in America. And this was so, Barbara Chase was there in a mainstream magazine seven years earlier. Who was Mrs. Sibley? (laughs) Mrs. Sibley was the woman who was at the front desk. She was the assistant manager for a lot of the time that the Barbizon was the Barbizon. And um, her job was to sort of be a house mother, a disciplinarian. Um, She would, if young women were out all night, too many nights in a row, she would threaten them and say that there there was a long wait list, which is true, of women waiting to have that room. So they'd better sort of cool that down a little bit. Um, She would confiscate the cooking appliances from the rooms, um, the hot plates and so forth. Um, Certainly the women who are not wealthy would save up to live there. 
And so they would bring in a hot plate and so forth to save money. Those would be confiscated, of course, because they were fire hazards. And one of Miss Sibley's um, main jobs was to stop the men from trying to go past the lobby up to the rooms. And there are, of course, many stories of men who claimed that they managed to get up those stairs without Mrs. Sibley seeing them. Sometimes men would dress up in doctor's uniforms, stethoscopes and all, and try to pretend they were the hotel's on-call doctor. J.D. Salinger was said to spend a lot of time loitering around the hotel, trying to introduce himself to the women who lived there. He told one woman that he was a Canadian hockey player. And residents would often sit in the lobby with their dates, trying to get some privacy behind a potted plant. In the earliest days of the hotel, in the 1930s, some states had passed laws making it difficult for married women to work at all. So many states um, mandated that if a woman became married or she became pregnant, uh, she would have to retire from her job, leave her job. The idea being, if you have a job, it has to be because you're a man or you are a single woman having to make a living, but once you stop being that, you don't belong in the workplace anymore. And, of course, the 1950s epitomized that. The ideal was marriage, children, three, four children, white picket fence, and so forth. And so the Barbizon residents who are there, there's so much that they want to to do. And at the same time, they all have this, this deadline because they know they have to be married. That is the expectation, and it's ingrained so deeply that they might question it, but they won't refute it. And that deadline for marriage is is so early then. So we're really talking, you know, you have several years at most from finishing college, going to New York, trying to make something of yourself, and then getting married. And many of these women were kind of in competition in many ways. Competition for husbands, competition for jobs, co- competitions for jobs at, at the magazine. Absolutely. It was heightened competition all the time. And that's something we shouldn't forget and something we should be really grateful for, that, you know, no matter, I mean, you know, there are still problems, but um, we don't have to experience that the same way. Uh, as I say, the, 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 the demand, not just the impetus, but the social demand that you get married meant that, indeed, you were constantly looking for a date. Um, Sylvia Plath was frustrated because she couldn't find a boyfriend in New York. And one of the reasons she wanted one, not only she very much liked men and she liked being liked by men, but as she wrote to somebody in one of her letters, there was a lot you couldn't do in New York without a date. As a woman, you, there, was, there were so many places you just couldn't go to. If, if you were with a date, you could go to the jazz clubs, you know, you, you, could, you could go to the bars, you could do all these things. So obviously tremendous competition for the attention of men and of, to the point, you know, of, of, of also being married. And then exactly as you say, there were 
compared to today, there were so few jobs for women that were interesting jobs. And in many ways, these places were not just unusual, they were oases. Though, again, Mademoiselle magazine, most of the editorial, 90% of the editorial staff were women. Um, They were not experiencing what most other women were experiencing at the advertising agencies, for example, and so forth. I mean, when I think about it, the stress level must have been enormous, absolutely enormous. It's kind of my impression reading your book that, you know, these women liked going out on dates and knew that this was kind of where they'd probably have to end up with some man. Um, But really what they cared about was writing and working and and knowing that this was their time. This was the moment that that they could be free. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is... We we sometimes confuse the timeline of women's rights with women's lives, ambitions, desires. So, yes, the women's movement emerges um, out of the 1960s and the early 1970s. But just because women were being told they had to be in the house, they had to have a husband, they had to have the children, it doesn't mean that they didn't feel the desire to accomplish as many women feel today. It was all there. It's just the obstacles were that much greater. And of course, um, you know, it harks back to Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own, that women need space, that women need to have somewhere where the responsibilities are left outside the door and where they can be themselves and they can do whatever it is that they need to do. It's about self-realization and having that place and that time to to um, sort of discover that. And also selfishness. That, that you will be asked very soon to care for your husband, to care for your children, to care for others. But this is your time. Yep. Exactly, exactly. And I think you're absolutely right that the the it's such an easy um, sort of rebuke to put on women, that they're being selfish the moment that they are trying to do something for themselves. And... That's that's the thing about the Barbizon. I mean, it you you could say, yeah, you know, if, of course it wasn't a community of women always helping each other. Of course, there were women who were lonely. There were women who were confused. There were women who were hungry, who were looking for uh, blind dates because a date often meant you'd get a real dinner as opposed to eating saltines in your um, in your room. Um, but putting all of that aside, it. You know, it's precisely the the Barbizon served this really important purpose until it didn't, right? Until precisely the 1970s, where now there were other places where you could do that. But up until then, there weren't that many. The building was sold in 1979. The new owner started updating the rooms. Soon after, men and couples were invited to come stay. The original tenants, the women of the Barbizon, were being pressured to move out. 
There were about 114 of them still living there, and they hired a tenant lawyer. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In December of 1980, the New York Times ran a piece with the headline, For 114 Women at the Barbizon, A Grim Uncertainty. The lawyer representing the women told the paper that the building had offered the women $1 million to leave. He turned it down. The rooms technically were SROs, single-room occupancy uh, rooms, which means that they are rent control. And once they're rent control, you can't really kick somebody out. You can try, but it's much more difficult to do. And so what happened from about 1982 until 2002, the hotel went through various reincarnations of now being a regular hotel. It went from being a residential women's hotel to being a regular hotel for anyone until it it gets renovated in the early 2000s as a condo building. And each time there's a renovation, they have to accommodate those women. So there's this wonderful story of um, Joan Didion's best friend, Peggy LaViolette. And in the 1980s, uh, Peggy comes back to New York and she says, oh, let's stay at the Barbizon. It's a regular hotel now. And there was an older woman who passed her and opened this door at the end of the hallway. And it was open for a little bit, and Peggy saw inside, and that was the old Barbizon. And indeed, on various floors of the hotel, there was a door that led onto sort of the unrenovated uh, hotel rooms where the women were still living in the same, you know, in the the same sort of... um, not just milieu, but but literally the same decorations and and, and interior design and so forth. Um, so these women, they they stayed. In the mid two thousands, the Barbizon was converted to luxury condos. Today, the fourth floor is home to the last residents. Not only do they live there, but they pay their rent controlled prices. In 2021, it was reported that one woman was paying about $113 a month. There are only about, last time I checked, four women left. Um, 
but they have beautiful studio one-bedroom apartments in this luxury building uh, where Ricky Gervais, um, the actor and comedian, the British actor and comedian, also lives. And um, when they signed the contract with Mrs. Sibley, they also um, they also got uh, daily maid service, and that has that by law has to continue. So not only do they pay rent control, but they actually have daily maid service. The Barbizon Hotel was home to hundreds of thousands of women in its time. Little Edie from Grey Gardens, comedian Elaine Stritch, actresses Sybil Shepherd and Candace Bergen, fashion designer Betsy Johnson, writers Eudora Welty and Renata Adler, Liza Minnelli, Joan Crawford, Cloris Leachman, Jacqueline Smith. The list goes on and on. Sylvia Plath fictionalized the Barbizon in her novel The Bell Jar. She called it The Amazon. It reads, I was supposed to be having the time of my life. I was supposed to be the envy of thousands of other college girls, just like me, all over America, who wanted nothing more than to be tripping about in those same size 7 patent leather shoes I'd bought in Bloomingdale's one lunch hour with a black patent leather belt and black patent leather pocketbook to match. The narrator describes herself moving around the city like a numb trolley bus. The book was published in January of 1963 under a pen name, Victoria Lucas. Sylvia Plath died the next month. There was a terrible movie that came out about Sylvia. You know anything about that? The Gwyneth Paltrow movie, I think, about her. Yes, yes, yes. You didn't like the movie? Yeah, um, no, it was terrible. Lori Levy. Do you think that New York is gone now, the one that you were there in the 50s, that, do you think it's gone? No, I don't think so. I think there's still a thrill about going to New York. I don't know, it's it's hard for me to, to realize now, I mean, to remember all the things that happened to me in New York, which was so wonderful. I only left because I married a Chicago man, which took me out of my beloved New York. I don't think it's gone. I I think New York still has that that glamour, that excitement. Janet Burroway who was a Mademoiselle editor with Joan Didion in 1955, went on to write eight novels, one of which was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Do you look back at yourself, that woman walking into the Barbizon, and think, I'm still the same person? Well, of course, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. And what I'm conscious at my age of having left is I still can write. Thank God I still can write. It's one of the things I tell young people that, that if you are in doubt about choosing this profession, there's a lot wrong with it. You have to be used to and uh, accepting of a lot of criticism. But you can do it for as long as your mind holds. And you can still do it at 90, you know. 
And in some ways, old age provides you with anxieties that are not the same, but that are parallel to the anxieties of being a teenager. Then you were unsteady because you were not formed. And at this age, you're unsteady because you're unsteady. Do you feel in some ways that you were part of history by being there? Yes. Yes, because women had nowhere to go when they wanted to have a career instead of the standard life that they were offered. And uh, and the Barbizon offered them that. Paulina Brent's book is The Barbizon, The Hotel That Set Women Free. We'll have a link in the show notes. This is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, Sam Kim, and Megan Kinane. This episode was mixed by Rick Kwan. Engineering by Russ Henry. Learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com. And sign up for our newsletter at thisislovepodcast.com slash newsletter. If you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. You can listen to This Is Love without any ads by signing up for Criminal Plus. You'll also get to listen ad-free to our other shows, Criminal and Phoebe Reads a Mystery. Plus, you'll get bonus episodes and more. To learn more, go to thisiscriminal.com slash plus. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at This Is Love Show. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Celebrate Earth Month this April by harnessing the power of Mother Nature with Nature's Sunshine's new power line. From power greens with over 200 plant-based nutrients to support gut health and foundational nutrition to power beets that can improve performance and blood flow. Not to mention Power Meal, which delivers plant-based calories from Whole Foods to help keep you both energized and feeling satisfied throughout the day. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running, (laughs) but they choose to do it. In the new docuseries, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.